0: Thank you for joining us for the Lessons from First Naz podcast. Back in the early 50s, my father, who is the fifth son of six boys, him and my grandma and my grandpa went over to Bend, Oregon, Lapine, Oregon, over in that area. Who knows where that is? Who knows where Springfield, Oregon is? That's right, it's right next to Eugene, which is the home of the Oregon Ducks. Thank you. Now, (laughs) move on, now that we got that out of the way. They decided that they were going to head over and spend the weekend in Central Oregon. Now understand, of these six boys, the oldest one to the youngest one were 19 years apart. So my grandma really wanted a girl, and they kept trying. Uh, I'm the one who wound up with the girls. She wound up with all the boys. But as the time went on, it came down to my dad, my grandma, and my grandpa went over. My grandma was pregnant with my uncle at that time. Of course, they didn't know it was my uncle, but they were pregnant at that time. As they go over, they spend the weekend, they start coming back. It was late fall, early winter. On the way back, they came over Highway 58 through Oak Ridge, which is a small two-lane highway that connects I-5 all the way over to bed. When they were coming back, it started to snow. Now, my grandpa had a truck, and it was just a two-wheel drive truck. And on their way back over, when it was snowing, he said, well, I have no choice. I've got to keep going. We can't stop here. We can't turn around. We're never going to get home if we don't keep going. So they kept going, and as they came over the top, they came down the other side, and it started spinning. Lost control of it. And my dad, I'll never forget him telling me the story. He said, I remember vividly sitting there watching this all take place. And as we came around, Grandpa looked up and he realized they were heading towards the edge of the road. And he took his body, spread it out over the window to make sure that if they went over, my grandma would fall against him instead of the edge of the vehicle. If nothing else, my uncle would be saved. Maybe not my grandma. About that time, they hit the guardrail. And they stopped. My dad told me, he said, I'll never forget that feeling of, oh, we could have died. And my grandpa going, oh, the truck's wrecked. And which one is it? Which one is good? Well, At that point, bull, because instead of rolling over the edge of the cliff, instead of plummeting to their death, they hit that reinforced steel structure that stopped them in a heartbeat and kept them out of harm's way, kept them from the danger that they were actually heading to, which today is what I want to talk to you about. Guardrails. What exactly is one? Well, you've all seen them. They're along the edge of the road, along the edge of the highway. There's three spots where you mainly see them, which is in the median, on a curvy road, or on a bridge. You don't really see them when it's a straight, flat road. Why? You don't need them. But you need them when you're on the edge of a cliff, when you're on a bridge, curvy road. What are they there for? To keep you out of harm's way. To keep you safe. But it's interesting when you think about it. A guardrail. A guardrail. Where's it put? Is it put in a dangerous spot? No. Guardrail is actually put on a spot that your car can drive on. The posts go in the ground on a piece of property that you are safe on. If it wasn't, it wouldn't hold you up. You just go over the edge. It is not in harm's way. It's safe. Kind of interesting when you think about that in the process of if I'm going to hit that guardrail, I don't want to because it's safe. You pick that up, you can go right down the road, not an issue. It's not a bad spot. Because when you hit it, all it does is save you. It may damage your car a little bit, but I think I'd take that over my life. I think I'd rather be alive and have to pay a little bit on my car than going over the edge and suffering that. A few years ago, Steph's grandma, she lived in Rockaway, Oregon, just about 10 miles north of Tillamook. We lived in Tillamook at the time, and she was coming back over Highway 6, which is a coast range highway between Portland and Tillamook. Little 2 rain ugly, curvy road. She fell asleep at the wheel. She was all by herself. No one saw her. No one was with her. No one to yell at her. No one to turn the radio up. No one to talk to She falls asleep at the wheel. Here's this 73-year-old woman falling asleep at the wheel. She starts to veer over, hits the guardrail. The car bounces back on the road. She wakes up, doesn't even stop, drives all the way home, gets out and goes, oh, look what happened. (laughs) To which I remember Steph going, you could have died. Yeah, but I didn't. I just woke up and drove home. There's a lot that can be learned from that. She was safe. Why do I need to get so excited and so upset about what happened to my car when I'm alive and I'm safe and there's nothing wrong with me? The damage was done there, not to me. It doesn't affect me. I'm good to go. But to take the concept of the guardrail that she was referring to, how does that look when we apply it to our life? How does that look when we take it And we implement it in everyday life. Because I am a firm believer, and I told the students this last week, but I'll say it again. I'm a believer that 75 to 80% of all the garbage that's ever happened to us is brought on by our own choices. Granted, there's 20 to 25%, maybe that high, maybe a little lower. That's other people's choices that have affected us. I mean, I've been around. I've had good friends who have come up and said, you know, she just left me and I don't know why. And really, when it was all said and done, when we talked to both of them, there really wasn't a reason why. She just wanted to be gone. It, It shocked our family as well. That wasn't his doing. That was a consequence of her choice. But you know what? If you look back at the worst things that have ever happened to you, They probably could have been prevented if you would have made a different choice. Probably couldn't or wouldn't have happened if you would have looked at it before you made the choice and said, I'm going to do something different. I'm going to go a different route. Which brings up the concept of a guardrail. Do we have personal guardrails in our lives? Do we have these things that are set up to make sure that we don't go past the point of no return? And, and these can be brought up in anything. Relationships. Alcohol. Our jobs. Well, oh, Aaron, what do you mean about our jobs? Pushing people out of the way to make sure I get to the top and doing whatever it takes to make sure I get the most money? I Maybe. Um, friends. A lot of times we get around certain people, we do things we never would do if we're not. And a lot of people say, well, that just has to do with students. No, it really doesn't. It has to do with everybody I see it. All the time. Do we have these personal guardrails set up in our finances? For instance, I'm just going to go down and look at the cars. I'm not going to buy one. And then pretty soon as I got a message the other day of a friend who went to look at a convertible but wasn't going to buy it, he came home with a convertible. All of a sudden, these little things that, that we are trying to avoid, that we want to avoid, nothing kicks in. And we don't bounce off any guardrails because we don't have them. We don't have them set up. We don't look at it and go, okay, this is a safe place. Here's the danger. Here's the safe place. I'm putting it back here to make sure that when I hit it, I am still safe. When I hit that point, everything's going to be okay. When I go and I'm almost going to go too far there'll be something that goes off that says, wait a minute, and I'll stop, and I'll take a step back. Because you know what? Society tells you to have standards. Society tells you to have guardrails. Tell me if you've ever heard this one. Wait until you're ready. Or what? I've spent a lot of time in schools. I've spent a lot of time around colleges. And I've spent a lot of time around adults. I want to tell you something that I haven't ever asked it here, so um, it doesn't apply to here. But I will tell you, the other 17 years of youth ministry, I have not asked the question one time, when is it okay to have sex? Do you know what what question I get every single time I ask that? Not from every student, but every single time, one student in the room will look at me and say, well, how old are you? well, have you been married before? Does it matter? Because last I checked, Scripture talked about being married. Scripture talked about being one with someone else in a a marriage with God. But you know, you have students who I do not blame at all because all they're doing is watching parents, watching teachers, watching coaches do whatever they want. Obviously, I'm not talking about every single person. But we live in a world where schools want to hand out condoms. And what we're told is wait till you're ready. Bottom line, guys are always ready. Wait till you're ready. Are you ready? Yep. That's not a standard. That's not a guardrail. That's a suggestion. And not a good one. How about this one? Drink responsibly. Tell what? You've drank too much and you're not? That's a suggestion. That's not a guardrail. You're never going to smack into it and back away. All you're going to do is keep going because you want it. Society says, make them. Have them. But by the way, keep buying all of our stuff. And by the way, do whatever you want to do because that what that's what makes you feel good. Now the good part about this is if you look all the way through the Old and New Testament, we have a God who is telling us not only to set up guardrails, but how to do it. He's showing us how He did it with other people. He's showing us, and if you read, I'm not going to read all the way through them, but if He's showing you with different people how He did it. Much like this. When I was in high school, I had a curfew of midnight. Why? Because my father believed nothing good ever happened after midnight. Now I agree with him. However, at the time, I did not. This is what he said, and I quote, your curfew is midnight unless you call me and tell me you're going to be late. Your curfew is midnight. What I heard, your curfew is midnight unless you have something better to do. Call me and tell me you're not going to be home at midnight and it'll be okay. So every Saturday night, Friday night and Saturday night, I tried to call and say, mind you, at 5 to midnight, um, I'm not going to be home at midnight. I'm over at so-and-so's house. What are you guys doing? We're just hanging out. I'll be there when I get there. No, what are you doing? So I tell him whatever we were doing, he goes, we'll see you in seven minutes. And I would get in the car... And I'd drive home, and I'd be fuming. And I'd walk in the door, go climb in bed. Wouldn't even say hi to them. They'd already be in bed, obviously. I'd go climb in bed. We wouldn't talk. Next morning, we wouldn't talk until we got to church because that wasn't an option in my house. You went, thank the Lord. However, why did He do that? Why was my father willing for me to be very mad at him And not talk to him? Why was my father willing to risk our friendship? Because he wanted me home at a time? Because my father knew that the fact that I would be upset with him, he could live with that way more than he could the consequences of the actions of whatever it is I was going to do that were going to affect me for the rest of my life. So he said, this is what you are going to do and be mad at me if you want. And I was. Now, as a father, I go, aha. ha ha I get it. I understand where you're coming from. You wanted me to have guardrails and I didn't want to have them. So you forced me to have them. However, in that stuff that comes that we're going to regret later on in life, there comes a joy with the fact that we don't have to do them. We don't have to go down that route. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 18 is what we're going to be looking at here today. Just a few short verses, but we are going to. Do they come up? We are going to look, just leave it, leave it right there for a second, Richard. We're going to look at Ephesians 5. Chapters 15 through 18. And and the idea that we are going to look at as we read this scripture is that a guardrail is a standard of behavior that becomes a matter of conscience. It's a standard of behavior that becomes a matter of conscience. It's something that when it's deep inside us, when we start to get close to that thing, when we start to come close to that guardrail that, remember, is in the safety zone, not the danger zone, when we even come close to it, We realize it and we notice it. We don't notice it if we're not near it. We don't notice it if it's not a part of it. We're not walking around going, there's my guardrail, got to stay completely away from it. But what we are doing is whenever it comes close, whenever that becomes a temptation, whenever whatever that is in your life becomes so important that you know you can't cross it because it's going to dictate how the rest of your life goes, it's going to have a consequence that's going to change everything about you you know it as soon as you hit that guardrail. It becomes a matter of your conscience. It's so deep inside you that you don't even want to come close to it. Because as soon as you do, you start sweating, you start shaking. Oh, I can't be here. Kind of like when you were a kid and you lied to your parents and your parents said, "Um, are you lying? "Uh Uh-uh. And you knew and they knew you were because you just felt so uncomfortable. That's what we're talking about. Getting that standard that sets so strongly that it's a matter of conscience, that it affects you all the way to the core. And in Ephesians chapter five, verse fifteen, Paul starts talking about this. But what you got to understand when he's talking about this is he just spent the whole beginning of the chapter telling these people all the stuff they can't do. But one of them was, I remember, don't let unwholesome talk come from your mouth. He just, you want to talk about rules? He gave them to him. These are your rules. Don't do them. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. And all of a sudden in verse 15, he starts to explain why. Because what you don't know are these people, these people that Paul was talking to, they basically did whatever they wanted. And they worshiped God by the name of Artemis. This God, He was incredible. He was called the God of the flesh. Which meant they committed fornication. They committed adultery. They did whatever it is that made them feel good. And they didn't care because Artemis told them it was fine. Go for it. And Paul's saying, wait a minute. Stop. You can't be doing this if you're going to follow our heavenly Father. You can't be doing this if if you're really going to seek after this guy named Jesus. You need to take a step back and look at what I'm telling you here. And in verse 15, he starts to explain it. Be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. Be very careful then how you live. Live, in the actual Greek translation was walk. Be very careful then how you walk. (coughs) Now, what's that mean, Aaron? Be very careful then how you walk. Well, here, let me give you a physical description. In our house in Tillamook, in the summer, you've got to understand that outside our back door was covered with slugs. Because even in the summer, everything was damp outside. Well, I have two daughters. The older one, who is just like her mother, and does everything methodically, everything nice and good, and she would want to go outside and play in the backyard. She'd put on her shoes, she'd put on her sweatshirt, she'd walk through the house, through the kitchen, round out the back door, open the sliding door, look down and go, oh, there's slugs. Walk back, get the salt out of the cupboard, come back, kill said slugs, go back. Then she might, her friends may or may not still be in the backyard when she gets there. Sarah, on the other hand, is a lot like her mother, or not. She runs everywhere she goes. She ran, she'd go, I'm going outside. Forget sweatshirt, forget shoes, forget if she didn't have clothes on, it didn't matter run through the house through the kitchen out the back door if the screen door was open she kept going she would not see any slugs she'd be running she'd feel them on her foot she'd stop and she'd go more than one time i found slugs inside the house because they went back through the door that she left open and landed inside she was not being careful where she went what's paul saying here be careful how you walk because you know what There are slugs there waiting for you to step on in your bare feet. There are traps. There are things that are coming all over the place that you can't see until it's too late. And you're in the middle of it going, what happened? How did this happen? Be very careful then how you live. Not as wise or not as unwise, but as wise. Man, what's a wise person do? Wise person follows what God wants. Wise person is sits down and thinks, is very thoughtless, very, very much meticulous about what he's going to do, what his next step is going to be, how he's going to make sure he's not getting himself into trouble, how he's doing the right thing. He's listening to what God wants all the way to his conscience, sitting there going, What do I need to do here? How is this going to work? What are the consequences if I do this choice? What are the consequences if I do this one? Working it all out. Because he wants to be a righteous person. He wants to understand and do as God's called him. The unwise, they just don't care. I'm just going to do whatever makes me feel good, and whatever happens, happens. It doesn't necessarily matter. Because you know what? I got the world. Everybody in the world looks happy. Everybody in the world, when they're doing worldly things, they all got a smile on their face. No problem. I'm doing that. But then they find out that everything they thought was true was not. Paul's saying, live as wise. Don't live as unwise. You have a choice. How many times do we hear ourselves say these words out loud? Why is this happening to me? Probably because we didn't live as wise. Probably because we didn't take our our step back and look and see what it really is. Verse 16. Making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Making the most of every opportunity. Now, if you look at King James, it's uh, making the very most of your time. Or, or excuse me, Amplified is very, making the very most of your time. Um, King James is redeeming the time. Making the most of your time. How do you make the most of your time? I mean, you got three different translations here. Making the most of every opportunity. Making the most of your time. In other words, don't take or don't waste your life doing things that don't matter. Don't waste your life doing things that aren't going to help you out. You are only on this earth for a little while. Whether we want to believe it or not. I have people tell me all the time, well, it's been a month. Do you realize how long a month is in your lifetime? Do you realize how much a year is in your lifetime? It's a moment, especially when we worship a God who is timeless. How can you make the most of every opportunity in your life? How can you sit back and say, you know what? I've got all this stuff going on in my life. I've got all these temptations happening. I need to get here. I need to get here. I need to get here. Where's my guardrail? Because if you have the guardrail that's sitting on the safe ground, You're not not going to be looking over it going, what happened? You'll be bouncing off it and going back on with life, making the most of every opportunity. Now, I do not believe I need to spend very much time or any time at all convincing you that the days are evil. I think we all understand that. I think we're all in that. Verse 17. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not be foolish. This is interesting. Because what Paul is basically ordering us to do, understand. Kind of like when you're a parent and you can't get your child to understand, so you say, because I said so. Which is a good enough reason. However, we don't sit back and say, okay, God said so. We want to know why. And Paul's saying, understand. Understand. In other words, accept. I want you to accept, embrace, face up to what you know in your heart is God's will for you. You know it. You've accepted Him. You want to be like Him. Face up to what you know is right. Face up to what you know you need to do. Don't miss out on an opportunity because you didn't understand or try to understand, or didn't face up to what you knew you were supposed to be doing. Stop deceiving yourself and accept it. Stop lying to yourself. Stop playing games with yourself and doing whatever you want to do and blaming everybody else because they talked me into it. God, you weren't really there for me. I didn't see you. I didn't hear you. Stop flirting with disaster. In other words... Stop driving down the road using a thin yellow line to keep you safe from going over the cliff. Start using a guardrail. Start using something that's going to keep you doing what you know is right. It's going to keep you going down the road of redemption and forgiveness. Verse 18. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, i got to tell you, um, I've never been one to drink alcohol. I never had it in my house growing up. My wife never had it in her house growing up. We do not have it in our house now. It's not an issue for us. You could put alcohol in front of my face and I would say, no thanks. Not an issue for me. Therefore, this verse doesn't apply to me, right? wrong there are many things that paul could be talking about here he put alcohol in here getting drunk because that's what was going on right then at that time you can put anything you want in there whatever affects you there are many things that affect me there are many things that tempt me there are many things (laughs) that i need to insert in that spot what do you have what is it And, and and he says they all lead to debauchery. In other words, you lose control. It's gone. You can't figure it out. And all of a sudden, you're making the same choice over and over again. Why is it I make the same bad choice over and over again? Because you're allowing yourself to. Paul's saying, stop. Stop going back to the alcohol. Stop going back to whatever. Here's a good for instance. I have had many people tell me this over the last 20 years of my life. I say many, probably five or so. Um, I don't understand where this affair started. Well, how did you meet her? Well, we were at the gym and we were both by ourselves so we just started working out together. Was your wife there? No, she was working. And then all of a sudden we went to lunch I and mean, it was just lunch. And we can all shake our heads at that and go, I can't believe someone doesn't figure it out. But we each have something in our life that we look at and go, how did this happen? And take someone else going, because of this choice you made way back here, that all of a sudden led you down this path. Because we all know, little by little, it becomes easier and easier and easier. And all of a sudden, it's a big thing. And we look back and go, where did that happen? How did I lose control? Paul's saying, don't lose control. Don't get yourself caught up in that instance. Get yourself a guardrail. Get yourself something there that's going to keep you from doing it. Instead, instead of putting yourself in position to do it, instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's a tough concept right there. That's kind of difficult. How do I get filled with the Holy Spirit? Accept Him into your heart. Because the minute you accepted Him into your heart, the Holy Spirit started dwelling in you. And then we get to the point of listening to the Holy Spirit. Listening to what God wants. Listening and hearing what Jesus is telling us. And this is where it gets tricky. Because I will tell you, I have had people look at me and say, I have heard God's audible voice. And to that I say, great, I never have. I have not heard God audibly speak to me. He has spoken to me. He has guided me and directed me, but I have never heard an audible voice. If what they're talking about is me as plainly as talking to you, hearing it, <clears throat> I've never had that example. And I would bet that most of you are the same boat as me. But there is the Holy Spirit that speaks in a still, small voice. And a lot of times, if we're making this a matter of conscience, a lot of times it sounds like this. We start to get close to what we know we're not supposed to do. And the Holy Spirit goes, and all of a sudden we start sweating. And we feel uneasy. How am I going to get out of this? What am I going to do? Where am I going to go? How is this going to work? It's the Holy Spirit talking to you. You're not antsy. You're not anxious. You're not uptight for no apparent reason. It's because the Holy Spirit's saying, time out. We have this guardrail. Remember, you're not going to go past that. You made it completely clear to me and to everybody else that this is where you were going to stop. What are you doing? Where are you going? How are you going to make this change? How are you going to make this stop? And all of a sudden we start listening. And we get anxious. And we get antsy. And we don't understand what's really going on. And we finally have that final choice to make. Are we going to go through with this? And suffer the consequences? The consequences that may change everything about our life? Or are we going to accept what the Holy Spirit's telling us and take a step back? Because if we are truly trying to do what God wants, if we are truly trying to keep a close, tight relationship with Him, not that we're going to be perfect, I guarantee you, as much as I believe the Bible says I've sinned, It never tells me I'm going to sin, which tells me I need to strive to be sinless. I am not sinless. I am not perfectly without sin. But I will tell you that I will strive every single day to make my Father in Heaven proud of me because I'm trying to be what He wants me to be. Just as much as I do not want to upset my wife or hurt my wife on purpose, I don't want to do it to God. So I'm going to do everything I possibly can to not sin. Which is where guardrails come in. On the safe area. But you know what, Aaron? I could go a little bit farther and the Holy Spirit still is telling me, you know, here's the line. Let me give you a little secret. What Paul's saying here and what the Holy Spirit is telling you, it's not how close to the line can I go without going over. It's what can I do to stay as far away from that line as possible? And again, it can be in your finances. It can be in your marriage. It can be in your job. It can fill in the blank. It doesn't necessarily matter because you may look at it and go, yeah, but nobody else struggles with it, so it's not a big deal. It is a big deal if it's affecting you. It is a big deal. It's coming down to you and how you're living and your relationship with Christ. Because the farther you put those out, the farther you set the guardrails out, pretty soon they're over the edge and you're going over the cliff. And you're looking back up going, what happened? All Paul is trying to say is, is let the Holy Spirit guide you instead of your flesh. Let the Holy Spirit take you where you need to go instead of your flesh. Instead of going out with the guys on Friday night, listen to Him and go home to your wife. Instead of... St- this is a hard one. Instead of staying on the river an extra hour or going up in the woods an extra day, go home to your wife. Guilty. Guilty. Because you know what? He wants you to strive to be like Him. And we can't do it on our own. Sometimes we look at it and we go, but I don't think I want to set up those guardrails. Because what am I going to miss out on if I do? I'm asking you, what are you going to miss out on if you don't? Because if you don't set them up, I can tell you what you're going to miss out on. And if you do set them up, all you're going to miss out on is some pain. Because you're going to be kept safe. From going over the edge. Kept safe from going too far. I have never heard anybody tell me when I've done weddings, and I've done quite a few of them, but I've never had anybody come stand up front, get ready to say their vows, and when they're done saying them, say, for now, because I plan on getting a divorce in two years. It's not that we don't plan, or it's not that we plan on getting a divorce. It's not that we plan on screwing up. It's not that we're taking the steps on purpose to screw up. It's that we aren't planning not to Why is divorce rate so high? Because people aren't planning not to get a divorce. They're not starting the day they're married trying not to. What's your weakness? What's your temptation? What's the one thing that has got you and you can't let go? Is it time to set up a guardrail so you can plan not to do it again? You've got a heavenly father standing there with arms open going, I love you. I'm not leaving you. I'm here. Do you love me? I know you think you know what's better. I, I know you want to stay out after midnight. But you don't understand what's going to happen if you do. I do. I've got it. The stuff that you think you might miss out on, I know what it is. Trust me, you don't want it. Is it time to set up guardrails? Is it time for you to get something firm in the ground that says this is where I'm stopping? Not the line of no return. I'm not going to have any more of these standards that society sets. Because really... They're not standards. They're suggestions. And at 65 miles an hour, I can drive right over top of a suggestion off the edge of the cliff and die. But if it's a standard, if it's a guardrail, it'll keep me centered. It'll keep me grounded. And I may bounce off that guardrail, but I'm going to live another day to tell about it. Because I have a Heavenly Father who knows what's best for me.